I don't know what books that you are planning on reading this year. Let me share mine. Um, I asked for, as a Christmas gift, and received this new book out. It's called The History of Western Philosophy and Theology. It's 875 pages long, and, um, and, and if you think I'm going to get through that this year, you really don't know me. Uh, but more than that, if you want to help me get through this book this year, would you like to have a book club with me? We can go through a, a chapter a week or something like that. There's one. He's moving. <laughs> so that's, that doesn't count. Uh, I don't know what books you are planning on reading this year, but we know that 96% of Evergreen, through surveys, uh, enjoys reading. And uh, so there are book clubs everywhere. Now, I didn't think that you wanted to join me in that. I had second questions when I requested that it be a Christmas gift. But I, I, I do know this, that somehow, in some way, this year, moving from a book that you're going to read, somehow, some way this year, I would like to invite you to sort of join me in a in a process that we're going to be in the next three weeks that I hope will influence us for the, for the rest of the year. In other words, what I'm asking is that uh, what I'm about to teach, not only will you take to heart, but we'll find ourselves sharing about it and actually making commitments in it. And I'm giving you permission to keep me accountable. In other words, some of the things I'm sharing, and I'm very careful what I share because I don't want too much accountability in my life. <laughs> but, but the things that I do share, you're welcome to bring it up in the year. And you're welcome, I hope also, or open to hearing, boy, I really blew that one. Didn't go as well as I had thought, but I wanted it to go that well. And if you're open to it, and we're going to give you an opportunity today to be accountable each week in one way or another. Now, we're showing this video, this not video, this diagram here, which we call a, our, our transformational model for what we believe spiritual growth is like here at Bergen Park Church. We want you to look at it. We want you to absorb it. We want you to know it's probably going to change again and again and again until we really get it down. <clears throat> but we pretty much have it the way it's going to be. And the key word there is transformation. Transformation. Many of us, I know, have worked on the idea of believing the right things. In other words, we got our doctrine down, we continue to study it, we look at all the other options and we choose that. There's others of us, I know, that work more on the idea of morality or our behavior. And so when we talk about what is the Christian faith for us, it's not on believing, but it's on obeying God, living the right type of life. I want to, I don't think I'm shocking you here. God wants the whole enchilada and it's more than that. He wants to be the big cheese in our lives and he wants uh, every facet of our lives to come under his leadership and his authority. So we are giving this model for what we think is the entire Christian life. We're going deeper with God. We're drawing closer to one another and reaching farther out to others in our lives. And as we go week by week, we want to bring to you a transformation model. Not just the the, the diagram, but we want to bring you a person in Scripture who was transformed. 
And I've chosen Paul for the next three weeks. Now, as I choose Paul, I want you to think of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, okay? I know I'm reaching, but just hang with me. Um, Paul, or as he's known as Saul, probably the best way to describe him is Mama Bear. What do I mean by that? What was it about Mama Bear that Goldilocks liked? Oh, come on. Just right. The food was just right. The bed was just right. The chair was just right. I want us to use Saul, as he's known, or Paul, which was his Greek name, as our model for what it means to be transformed. Now, there's three main characters you'll find in the New Testament. Jesus, Saul or Paul, and Peter. Now, I could have used Jesus, but let's face it. He's Papa Bear, right? I mean, anytime we compare ourselves to him, we're going to fail miserably. So let's take Jesus and put him where he belongs, enthroned in, in the heavens and, and Lord of our hearts and everything else. But let's look at someone that we can really study. Uh, the other one we could have used is Peter. But Peter is baby bear. What do I mean by that? He's messing up all the time. He's way too easy. You look at Peter and you can honestly say about your life, I'm better than Peter. Let's go on to other things. Let's do better things. Come on. I mean, uh, 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 Peter's the one who, who, who says, shall we kill him now, Lord? And Jesus goes, man, three years and this is what you've learned? <laughs> Peter is the one who says, you know, I am so tired of fishing and now you're telling me. He, he's baby bear. He's got a lot to learn. And so he, he loves being used in Scripture because he's an example that you can be a better Christian than me. But we're going to use Saul. And we're going to use Saul in terms of understanding what it means when God comes into our lives and begins a transformation, a transformation process. And the difference with Saul from most of us is, man, there is a moment in which everything changes. For many of you, you'd say, you know, it was a process, or I've been in church all my life, I, I'm always absorbing things. But for him, in terms of that diagram, we find him going deeper with God in one specific moment. So, like each of us, Paul has a beginning with Jesus, and it's truly, and, and I imagine, more dramatic than any of our beginnings. But it's the same transformation. He's known as Saul, that's his Hebrew name, and that's what we'll do in this portion of Scripture. And as Saul, he comes to this moment where he realizes he has to go deeper with God. And here it is in Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, it's a good time to open to it. In Acts chapter 9, I begin. Now, before this happens, understand that Saul was involved in the stoning of a Christian believer, and his name was Stephen. And uh, it said that he held the coats for those who did the stoning. And then when that is done, a huge persecution occurs throughout Jerusalem, and the, uh, the Christians, except for the apostles, are expelled and they go to many other places. When you understand the beginning of Saul and the character, or you might say the background of Saul, though it seems like Jerusalem is safe, Paul is not done yet. Saul still has more to do. And so it begins like this. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus 
So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, followers of Jesus, now look at this, whether men or women, he didn't care, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so it says, as he nears Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Wow. You see, it's a business trip for Saul. I'm on my way to Damascus, and I have a mission. My mission is to destroy the faith in Jesus. And by doing that, I'm going to preserve good Judaism. But it's on that trip in which God specifically says to Saul, enough, Saul, and confronts him in the most dramatic fashion I think many of us have ever seen. So there he is, is a stoner or one who was, uh, I can't use that term the same way anymore. (laughs) He was involved in this. He killed (laughs) Paul. uh, He killed Stephen and expels the Christians. And so he decides to take it to the next degree. And he, he, his goal is to totally eliminate uh, this faith in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And he's going to use threats. He's going to use imprisonment. And if necessary, at least that's what he's saying, he'll use execution. Though I don't think he had the authority to do that. And so he gets permission to extradite, not just to arrest, but to extradite Christians in Damascus because they had immigrated there, being pushed out of Jerusalem, and bring them back to Jerusalem to stand trial. Much the same way the disciples stood trial in the earlier chapter of Acts. So he would give them the opportunity to deny the faith. You can, you know, you can revert back to the Judaistic faith. Or you can be punished for keeping the Christian faith. Now that's Saul's intention. Murderous threats. But God has other intentions. Guess who wins? Every time. So while Saul is traveling, God steps in. Now, how does a man get this passionate? Because it seems like nobody else steps up to do the work that Saul does. How does he become so, uh, you might say, determined to destroy belief in Jesus? It comes, I think, from his background. And his background makes him uh, stick out like almost no one else that we know. It says this as he's talking about himself in Philippians chapter 3, verses uh, 4 through 6. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, and as for zeal, persecuting the church. And as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Whoa, faultless. I tried that once, didn't work. You see, what he's talking about is I have a pedigree, as if my name was Winthrop in Massachusetts, My pedigree is like I came over on the Mayflower with Judaism. I'm one of the original ancestors. My parents obeyed the law from the very moment I was born and had me circumcised. More than that, I was groomed to be among the Hebrew elite. I come from a major tribe of the 12 tribes. I have an excellent education among the most prominent of rabbis around today. I am a conservative a Torah-believing, original language-translating, word-for-word exegete of the Torah. 
And I'm a Pharisee because of that. So he puts his money where his thoughts and his mouth is. And, and understand that he probably would have in just a few years been nominated for the Jewish, Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin. And since he opposes the Christian faith, he becomes the one most dedicated and a respected persecutor. Oh, it also says here um, that I, you know, in terms of legalistic righteousness, I'm faultless. Have you ever run across somebody who said, uh, boy, you have an attitude like you're holier than thou? Um, Paul was holier than thou. He didn't have an attitude. He had a track record. If I compared my life to Paul, he would have, you know, he, I wouldn't stand a chance. Now, the problem Paul has or Saul has is that when he compares his life to Jesus, you know, he has to be humbled. But everything about his background means I am here to protect the Jewish faith and to keep it pure. But there's more to him in terms of his background. He speaks at least three languages and he can write in two of them. In fact, he speaks four languages and he can write in two of them. He has his own personal set of handwritten scrolls that he probably wrote himself that would be the uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which we call the Pentateuch, and, and the prophets, everything going after that. So he, he has both of those that he's written himself, in other words, done a copy of. Um, he has probably memorized the first five books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and he's a skilled debater and thinker. And though he's a Jew, however, understand that he, unlike the other Jews of his time, unlike the disciples, he finds it easy to move in both Jewish and, 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 and uh, Jewish and Roman and um, Greek culture. He's very familiar with that because he grew up in a Greek city. So he's used to these cultures and he's not trying to wall himself off or isolate himself from them. So he's used to the modern world and feels comfortable in it, though he still continues to keep the law. That's his background. And it shows that God has really put his hand on a, or has in mind a perfect person to spread the faith of Jesus into Rome and into Greece. Only one problem. Saul doesn't believe yet. In fact, Saul is trying to kill everybody who does believe or at least get them to revert back to Judaism. So that's his background. Now, before I give you any more information about Saul, have you ever wondered about your background? Have you ever wondered why you went through the things you went through in life? Why you got the education you received or maybe didn't get? Have you ever wondered why these experiences in your life and these these trainings and these special gifts that you have, have you ever wondered why? And have you ever said, could God in some way put that all together and somehow I could be useful to him? Have you ever done that? Here's an example. I was trained in business. I know most of you go, yeah, go on. No, I was got a degree. Don't use it. Just ask anybody in business. Anybody who does business. I don't use it anymore. 
Somehow, some way, God used that to make me to uh, say, "Okay, you got a degree in business. You going to use it?" And I go, "I don't think so," but I got it. It was not an evil thing to do, but it was a life determining thing to do. But from the very beginning, I realized that um, I was somewhat different than the other people I know. Let me just share about some of the other major influences in my life. Uh, we were with our growth group, uh, Barb and I, and uh, last Sunday night. And for some reason, I was asking about people's Christian backgrounds. And I just asked this question. How many of you actually grew up in the church? Fourteen of us there. Thirteen raised their hands. Guess who doesn't raise their hand? Moi! I went to church when I was bad. Mom said, okay, you're bad. Go off to church. I don't recommend parents that you use that as a motivational ploy. But that's when I went. And so I figured, hmm, if I keep the rules, I'll never have to go to church. Be good, don't go to church. (laughs) Hallelujah! What an insight! But most of you aren't like that. Most of you were dragged... Or as we found out, they went with their families until they didn't have to go with their families. And they stopped going with their families and looked at what else was out there. Many in our growth group are like that. That just continues to tell me I'm different. I'm not Saul, but I am different. More than that, um, uh, uh, after my business degree, uh, Barb and I moved to Australia and were involved in ministry there. My first six years of ministry were in a foreign country. Uh, More than that, I married up. Any of you guys agree with me? Okay, did you all marry up too, I hope? Okay. I married up. I was deeply influenced in the 70s by the Jesus movement. I'm more cognitive than emotional. When people get all excited around me, I put my hand on the shoulder and say, well, calm down, calm down. I don't realize why people should be excited. But I married up. My wife is often excited. Um, let me keep going. I, I'm graciously direct. When someone makes an accusation to me, I, I look at them and I know I've learned how to ask questions that turn the table. More than that, I have a life's purpose that I love. Which means almost every morning, I really do enjoy going to work. I can sing hi ho, hi ho. Uh, I've learned how to laugh at myself because if I didn't, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Um, I've uh, also um, realized that I'm not a revolutionary, but I tend to be more wise and innovative than risky. You see, those traits and experiences have shaped my relationship with God and with others over the years. Have you ever taken inventory of your background? And ever, ever decided, you know, hey, Lord, how can you use this? Or even look backwards and say, this is how God has used it. And maybe this is how he wants to use it in the future. Your background isn't an accident. And it's not just a matter of choice. The sovereign God has his hand upon you. So this is what we know of Saul. And as Saul gets to this point, you know, it's time to go deeper with God. And, you know, that it, it says there that light shines around him. And, and, and then we see in, in Acts chapter 9 verse 4, he fell to the ground, probably on a horse or a donkey, fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
Yes, I see. Saul is the natural, the one that we would expect to deal with this Christian sect of Judaism. He wants to intimidate it and to eliminate it. So he believes that he is doing God's work on his way to Damascus. But he goes deeper because finally he meets God. The light throws him off his mount. It blinds him, confronts him. And, and, and God, the God that he thought that he had all figured out, suddenly is brand new to him. So he wants to persecute Christians, but the voice declares that he's persecuting the speaker. Now, several years later, Paul is on trial, which he had several of them. And in Acts 26, he adds just another uh, idea here of what is going on in this going deeper with God moment in his life. He says as he's uh, giving his defense to a judge, We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That, That we got down. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I, I'm not agricultural. I have no idea what a goad was, but I know how to look it up. It's, it's a stick that you take to an ox when you want to either speed the ox up as he's plowing or walking um, or, or to change direction. And it's got a sharp point on it, so the ox feels pain and speeds up. Almost like for you horse people, what, how do you use spurs? Well, this is what a goad was. But Saul, instead of speeding up like a good ox, kicked. He was kicking God. He was defying God. He just didn't know it until God tells him. So the goad sets the direction for the animal. And Saul says, no, I'm not going that way. I know exactly what I'm going. So this is what that term means. It must be hard for you to fight against me and not follow me. So Saul asked the big question. By the way, I hope you've asked this. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So when he asked that big question, who are you, Lord? Uh, I, I just believe that there's even a handful here who are still confused. Who is this Jesus? They won't tell me in schools that I go to. It seems like the church is the only place that tells me, you know, who is this Jesus? And what do they know? But he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he's saying, Saul, you're not fighting Christians. What this voice is saying, you're not even fighting a new faith. You're fighting Jesus. And may I say that is a practice I would never recommend for any of you. That you find yourself fighting God himself. And at this point, Saul begins to go deeper than he ever imagined. The one he calls Lord is Jesus. The one crucified several years earlier is alive. And the one he is persecuting is God Almighty. It must be hard to kick against the goads. So in a span of just moments... Every major truth that Saul is counting on is set upside down, you might say replaced, with the fact that the Lord Jesus is risen and he's talking to Saul. Here's the problem with Saul. He's got all his doctrine right. He's got all of his facts right. It's his conclusions that are so bad. 
And because they're wrong, it means that his faith is wrong too. Now, I was thinking, trying to compare myself to Saul, not, not in terms of, you know, all that he's accomplished or anything like that, but I have to go back to 1965 and 1966 in my life when um, I got my faith right. But because it was either be good or go to church and I decided to be good, I had no facts. So I got my faith right when someone said, Jesus is Lord, will you receive him as, you know, as your Savior and Lord? I said, yes, I will. But then I started to ask, well, who is he? What, what should I know about him? And I believe that for the rest of my life, I've been catching up. My facts have been catching up to my faith. So as a new Christian, I could honestly sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. But I couldn't sing the second line, for the Bible tells me so. Didn't know anything about it. So I've been catching up. How about you? Do you realize what's happening to Saul? Saul had all of these facts and they were all right. But his faith has been catching up to his facts. He has to come to a new conclusion. That this Jesus was not crucified and just disappeared. This Jesus was written, uh, risen as the uh, apostles are, tell, are saying. So his faith is catching up with the facts. So this guy is uniquely chosen by God to do what no other follower of Jesus could do at the time. And we find that for the next several years, he goes deeper and deeper with God. Now, there's a, one good reason. No Christian wants to be with him. He's isolated. Why? He's too hot to handle. He might be a traitor. He might be a Trojan horse. He, he, he might be in disguise. Just So nobody names. He might be an infiltrator. And then he's going to report us and arrest us and kill us. So nobody wants to talk to him. So after he spends a, a, a little time in Damascus, and immediately he gets his facts caught up with his faith, and he starts preaching who Jesus is as, as God's Messiah and God's Son, um, th- then he goes to Jerusalem eventually, and they go, Hi, Paul. Why don't you go back to Tarsus? You're too hot to handle. And then we find out that after a while, he's back in his hometown. Uh, he goes away to Arabia for several years. And, and while he's there, he begins to, to sort through all that he had known from the Torah, from the prophets, from the history of Israel. He begins to sort that through. And he comes up with something in a way that nobody had ever come up with before. And this is his contribution. It's one word, and it's called grace. I did a search. Where does Jesus use the word grace? I did another search. Where do the disciples use the word grace? Empty search. Oh, yeah, John later would say, you know, full of grace and truth. But while Jesus was in ministry, you don't hear that very often. I couldn't find it at all. And along comes Saul. And he says the the whole groundwork for you Jews is to understand it's not by living as, as, as righteous a life as I have lived, but it's by grace. And when you understand that grace is God's unmerited favor, what begins to happen in your life? You see, this is a word that he would continue to use in everything that he wrote. 
See, he believes it has a truth and a power that makes a Christian different, this term grace. A Christian does not search and find God, but God finds and forgives and accepts and adopts and empowers the Christian for serving God. And Saul in his isolation becomes the main missionary for Jesus, reaching those who were not at that time nor never would be Jews. And Saul continues to go deeper with God. And I got to admit, there's, there's times in which I would say, you know, I've done this. I'm just going to rest on that for the rest of my life. It really was cool. But at the very end of Saul's life, when he's facing execution, like we read a couple years ago, a couple weeks ago, he tells Timothy to come, please visit me here in prison in Rome. And he says, and this is a paraphrase, please pick up my scrolls and parchments, probably the ones he wrote himself, copies of the Old Testament, and bring them to me so I can further study them before my execution. I want to die going deeper with God. Have you made that crucial decision that you're going to be a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ? That it's not a season, not a phase, but you're going to spend the rest of your life going deeper with him. I want to say something. It doesn't take reading an 875-page book to go deeper with him. Can you say amen? Amen. Okay. But somehow, someway, you'll have to become familiar with this. For the last, I don't know, probably 14, 15 years, I've been trying to... Yes, I have a degree in the Bible. Now I'm reading it. And I've been trying to read through it every year. I'm not suggesting you do that, but I suggest somehow, some way, this becomes more a part of this. That we want it to go more and more in us. Not that we would be more moral, but almost like that song that we sang, I want to know you more. I have this deep down desire to know God better in my life through Jesus Christ. You will not have to write or read an 870-page book or write theological letters to churches. But hopefully there's a desire to act and go deeper with God with the life that remains with you on this earth. And, and, and as Paul writes to the Romans, he goes, you know, there's really pretty much two ways that you see evident. You can conform to the patterns of this world or you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's the decision. That's why we're using that word here, transformed. You might say, well, I thought transformed meant, you know, immediate. Well, that's partially true, but it's not true with me. I'm a very slow processor. But it means looking at the things that I see in the culture around me, uh, differentiating it from what I, I'm hearing from God, and, and, and making the decision to go God. Here's an example. I'm a baby boomer. My age group is fixated on comfortable retirement, physical health, and carefree living in our twilight years. It's not wrong. Shallow. But it's not wrong. 
What does your age group fixate on? I'm working hard at not being uh, conformed just to that pattern. It's not that I never think about it. I try to not let that thinking control me. And so what I'm asking is, is what am I thinking? What is going inside of my mind? And will that help me go deeper with God? That the transformation process begins with the renewing of the mind. So I choose to read the Bible. um, And I find that the Bible prepares us for Jesus, introduces us to Jesus, describes how to be thinking like Jesus and acting like Jesus. And it also makes us ready for when Jesus returns to this earth. And that is a date that God has decided and it's going to happen. Global warming will not bring an end to this earth. God will say when it's done. And it comes at Jesus' return as we know it. So I use the Bible to help me understand that. And my transformation continues to go through that. And as I'm, as I'm getting my facts catching up with my faith, my will begins to change too. And so the decisions that I've made in this life are affected by the facts that are coming into me. My time, my money, my relationships have changed as my will is transformed through my mind. Now, it only takes Saul a few days before he's preaching Jesus and stops persecuting the Christians. I don't usually move that fast, but I follow Jesus not by habit, but by daily choice based on what I know of him. So it affects my decisions, my will. But there's one other thing, because to this point, it's like, what are you going to do? And what are you going to do? And what are you going to do? That same Saul would write a letter to the Philippians where he says, yes, what are you going to do? But what is God going to do? He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I quoted exactly, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on. To completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, if I understand this right, I'm not the hero of my story. It's not my great mind, my strong will, the decisions I've made. But God has been working to transform me even when I haven't asked for it. He's working through the experiences of my life and I have to keep track of that. If you want to go deeper with God in another way, besides, you know, the the Bible and how it changes your mind and will, can I suggest you do a 19, this isn't 19, is it, 2016 God hunt in your life? What do I mean? It means if you believe God is present in your life, it means if you believe that this verse is true, that he'll continue to perfect you until the day of Christ Jesus, That you look around and say, what is he doing? In six weeks, we will have been in this facility for one full year. Hard to believe, but it's true. It's old now, isn't it? A few stains on the carpet and let's throw it away, get a new one. No, not that ain't going to happen. But we'll be in here one year. And I went back and I was beginning to think, 
okay, Lord, what have you done through this moving into a new facility? And um, I jotted down some things. I won't share everything. But one of the things I jotted down is I've had to absorb so much about what it means to do church today that I had no idea. And I've had to be a learner. And I'm not the quickest of learners. In fact, there's a few people on our staff that say, Jim, why don't you just take, take a break on this one? I said, okay, be glad to, and let somebody else handle it. But then the next thing I've learned is this. What is it I'm gravitating towards where God just seems to be pulling me and saying, this is what you do best. This is where I'm bearing fruit. This is where people are being influenced. What are those things? And I have been able to write those down and identify them and say, please, 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 can I do more of this? That's a God hunt of a full year. Actually, almost five years because the process has been going on that long. If you were to go on a God hunt and you were to look back at last year or you were to go on a God hunt and say, I want to keep track this year, what is the experiences that God has taken you through? Understand that you are along for the ride, but God is planning the journey. He's the trip advisor. (laughs) He's the GPS. You're along for the ride. So your mind, your will, the experiences because he's doing a good work in you. Let's pray. Would you like to go deeper with God? Would you like this year, not necessarily to be, you know, the year of all years, but just in some way, not settle for what you got, but look forward to what you can be? Would you like this not to be a year of disappointment, but a vision and journey? Would you like this year not to be ho-hum, not again? Everything's the same. But instead, a year in which you have asked God, Lord, I want to know you. You I don't have much time, and, you know, it's not about my education or time or my relation. I just... I don't know how much I can invest in this, but I want to know you more. God's answering your prayer like he answered Saul. Gotcha. That's right where I want you to be. And he's smiling on you. Just loving on you. Because you've said, I want to know you more. Lord, I do pray that as we begin this year, many of us would say, not necessarily revolutionary things, but but solid things. Where we're moving ahead with our minds, our wills, and aware of what you're doing. And I ask this in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. I got two things here.
And um, the first was in your programs. And it's our transformational model. And we're going to have one of these little cards each week. And um, in it, we're going to handle one of the different circles each week, today going deeper. So on the back of it, you just say, what's your name? And how is God urging you to go deeper with him this year? Now, if you want this to be prayed for by me and by staff or the prayer team, you can put down your name and uh, you can say what, you know, how God is urging you to go deeper with him. And uh, you can come and drop it here. Some of you say, we don't walk forward and where I am. Okay, I get that. There's also a prayer box at the back. Many places where you can drop. You drop it in the offering. I'll get it, okay? <laughs> but I'd just love to know, how is God urging you? And that'll be prayed for. The other is, I find it sometimes confusing for those who've come from um, uh, ancient churches that that have, you know, that are doing, I mean, I'm not tearing them down, but often they miss what it means to have a relationship with God and work more on the obedience. For over 50 years, I've been giving out this book, My Heart, Christ Home, from one of my professors at seminary. He takes one verse of scripture, let Christ dwell deeply in your heart, and walks through each facet of your life of what it means for God to take control, for God to be Lord. For you to give it over to him. I've got several of those up here too. So the, look, the, the um, uh, worship team's going to close us in a, in a song. But we invite you to take those cards, fill them out. You can drop them here. You can put them in the offering box. You can do that. If you want to come forward, do that. If you want to come to get one of the books. If you say, I didn't get a program, we got some extra cards here. I don't care how you declare it. All I care about is if God is speaking, you've said yes in some way.